Good morning. Last, sem or last semester when uh, we had all of our professors come up in, and preach, my one prayer was like, Dr. Dockery, don't ask me to preach. <laughs> and then when I got the email this summer that I was going to preach, I was really excited. And then it hit me that I'm standing on the shoulder of giants of the faith who have preached from this pulpit. And it is an absolute honor um, that I'm here standing before you today to preach the word of God. I was so concerned about preaching that I actually emailed Dr. Osborne, our, our preaching professor, and I was like, I need help. Because I'm not a preacher. I haven't preached in probably 10 years in California. I'm a teacher. And when I met with Dr. Osborne, we met for breakfast, and he said, I just want you to be you. Don't be something you're not. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm just going to be me today. The passage I selected is from Matthew 22, 34 to 40. And it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So I'm going to, I actually am not listening to Dr. Osborne. I actually did spend some time in commentaries and I did some research and, and just, that's just me. I don't always follow directions well, as my dean, Dr. Shirley, knows. Um, but just to provide a little historical background, this occurs um, within a particular social religious context that significantly influences its interpretation. So this section of the gospel is part of what is often called the Passion Week, the final week of Jesus's life before his crucifixion. And then we have two, two groups questioning him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they're pretty much trying to get him caught in a hard place. And he, he Jesus, he went and he said something that, that they all understood because of the, the Jewish traditions and all the commandments. And it comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. And, and the prayer, this Jewish prayer, and it's still central to the Jewish faith today, is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So this would have been really familiar to his audience. And then for the second greatest commandment, Jesus quotes from Le Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. So this is, where, this is where we're at, you know? This is, this is something that I can identify because over the last, I've been alive for 46 years now, um, I've lived on the West Coast and here in Texas. The Bible Belt and not the Bible Belt. Let's just be honest, not necessarily the Bible Belt. But for the first 30 years of my life, I live in Hawaii that's home, and I'm looking at mom and dad, and mom and dad, thank you for being here. Um, and what I, I noticed was in Hawaii, we start church at seven in the morning on Sundays. And our second, and that's not, sorry, our, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of football. Our first game for football is 7 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And our second game is at 10 a.m. And what I realized during church, we looked at, you know, how many people are in the congregation February till about October, pretty full. But if the San Francisco 49ers are doing well, that kind of diminishes if they're playing, playing that morning set. And what I realized was 
they kind of loved God, right? But other things became more important for them. Watching football. And then I moved here to Texas. Thank, thank the Lord, football games start at 12. But we, we really love God here. We're, we're obedient to his word. But what I sometimes realize is that we struggle loving people who don't look like us. And this hits home for me because, you see, my people, Dr. Docker kind of shared, my, my people are those who struggle with addictions. And my people don't necessarily always fit in. My people look different. My people smell different. And as I'm speaking to our future leaders, for those of you who are going to be pastors and youth ministers and children's ministers, I need you. I need you to care for the broken. I need you to care for, for what are some, sometimes called the dirty people. Because those are my people. And as I was preparing for, for this sermon, um, I'm teaching our emotions and addictions class right now. And in this particular class, I, I show a collage to start the semester. And on the collage are pictures of 12, 12 or so individuals. And those are people that, that I've worked with over the years that are no longer here today. And what I mean by that, they've lost their battle. Whether through suicide, from overdose, a drug deal gone bad. And you see, when I was in, in, in California, we did a really good job about loving people. But not so much being obedient to the word of God because we don't want to offend anyone. And I saw the repercussions of what happens when the word of God is not foundational and was being taught. And what it was was their focus was on, wasn't on the word. It, it, it wasn't on this. It was on feeling good. It was on being friends with everyone. And there's a danger in that. And I'm just as guilty as the rest of you for, for not being perfect. And the example I want to share was there's this young girl by the name of Vanessa who was part of our, our recovery group. And, and Vanessa had struggled with opiates for, I think at that time, five years. And it was a Tuesday night service. It was a Tuesday night service and Vanessa came in high as a kite. You could tell that she was loaded. And I remember talking to Vanessa, hey, Vanessa, are, are you doing okay? And Vanessa said, yeah, John, I'm, I'm doing good. And I let it slide. We went to church service, we, we sang, we prayed. Vanessa stayed the whole time. Never confronted her on her, her absolute lie that, that she was okay. Because I didn't want to offend her. I wanted her to be my friend. I had a second chance at, that night. We all had a, a birthday party. It was at a Denny's. And Vanessa came in even higher than she was earlier that day. I asked Vanessa the same question. Hey, Vanessa, how are you doing? And she said, John, I'm doing okay. And I didn't want to offend her. So I just let it slide. And the third chance is right before we left. Vanessa had disappeared into the bathroom. And we all know what she was doing in the bathroom. She, she was going to go get high again. 
And Vanessa came back out. And I was like, hey, Vanessa, how are you doing? And she goes, John, I'm doing okay. And once again, I didn't want to offend her. I wanted her to be my friend. The next day at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I got a phone call from, from one of our mutual friends. Her name is Karen, and Karen called me, and she was screaming on the phone. She said, John, 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 she's dead. And I already knew. I knew it was Vanessa. That night, there were so many believers who saw Vanessa, probably a hundred of us, at that church service. And not one of us had the courage to say, Vanessa, you're not okay. Vanessa, you're a sinner in need of a savior. Vanessa died, she was a couple days after her 21st birthday, she was 21 years old. 21 years old. West Coast, really good at loving people. Not the best at being obedient to the word of God. Now, I don't think I'm going to lay off of you all here in Texas because it's coming. Don't think I'm just going to pick on my friends in the West Coast. And then I moved here to Texas. I moved here to Texas 10 years ago in January. 10 years ago, I came in here like on fire. Like, I'm going to do recovery ministry. I'm going to help churches start this, what I did in California. That, that was my whole goal. And my wife and I started a recovery thing at our church. And for six months, my wife and I went every single Wednesday. Every single Wednesday. And guess how many people showed up in six months? One. And that one was our guest speaker. <laughs> really good about loving God and the law. We're not always the greatest at loving people who don't look like us. There's a story that I tell my, 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 uh, my class. And I don't know if it's true or not. I forget even where I got this story. But the story was a church had just spent millions of dollars remodeling their church facility. A lot of money was spent remodeling their facility. And they finally had their, their grand opening day. Their first day letting everyone come back into their new sanctuary. But on that day, it also was pouring rain, which meant the ground was muddy. And because there were so many people that were there that day, people had to park on the grass. And there was a, this woman in a, in a hoodie. For those you know, a hoodie is like a sweater with a, you put a, a hood on. Because my parents are like, what is a hoodie? I can just look at my mom's face right now. She has no idea what I'm talking about. Long sleeves. Her kids were also in sweaters with long sleeves. While everyone else was in suits and ties. And they're walking into the sanctuary and the deacons notice the mud on their feet and they're like, hey, we're gonna put you over here because we don't wanna get our, our brand new carpet dirty. So they sat in the back row. They're good back row Baptists. They sat in the back. They didn't look like everyone else. They didn't talk like everyone else. And they left. And they were later asked, why did you go to that church? And they, were, they said, we went to that church because we were told that that's a church who loves Jesus and that we can get help. But no one came up and talked to us. But they didn't realize the, the reason why that woman was wearing the hoodie and, and her kids were in, in sweaters during the summer was because her husband beat her every day. 
and that there's bruises all over her arms. And the same with her kids. Love God. Love the law. Not always good at loving people. As I look out into the room, I see, thank you so much for being here at the church from Houston. But I'm talking to my young people over here. Specifically. Because you're the ones who are going to be impacting the woman in the hoodie. You're going to be the ones impacting the kids in the sweaters. You're the ones who need to love God, be obedient to his, his word, and love his people. And I wish I was able to, to take all credit for this, using this um, passage for my sermon. And I was telling my TA yesterday, hey, Grace, she asked, what are you preaching on? I said, Matthew 22, 34 to 40. And the first thing out of her mouth, she was like, that's what Dr. Babler said every single semester. And that was my mentor. And as a biblical counselor, we have to love God, be obedient to, to his, his word, and then love his people. And I'm actually going to be a bad Baptist. Usually Baptists give three points. I'm going to give five. <laughs> the first is we need to check our hearts. And this is based off of Psalm 139, 23 to 24. And it says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I'm here to tell you, I don't do love God, love people perfectly every day. I make mistakes every single day. I'm not perfect. But what I realize is that if I'm asking God to test my heart and know my heart and test my anxious thoughts, that more likely, more likely than not, I'm going to live a life that brings God praise, glory, and honor. Not a life that makes me look good, but a life that brings God praise, glory, and honor. So it's regularly examining, are my thoughts and my actions bringing God praise, glory, and honor, or are my thoughts and actions making me look good? And if my thoughts and actions are making me look good, then, I, then I'm in a lot of trouble because I'm not being obedient to his word. The second thing is be a doer of the word. Because faith without works is dead. This is James 2.26. If I love God, it should show in my actions. And that includes how I treat people. And it's easy to be kind to people I like. Right? You see, we, we can all agree. It's easy to... Oh, man. I'm looking at... My analogy is actually going to be about the Houston Astros. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I wish someone had given me a heads up that there's going to be a massive church that supports our school from Houston. Well, I'm a New York Yankee fan. Thank you. And I'm now a Texas Ranger fan. <laughs> Whatever. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, all my students know you're going to go there, so I'm going to go there. I have to love Houston Astros fans, right? I may not like them most of the year. <laughs> Just my luck, they're sitting right here. but I, I got to love them. I don't have to like them, but I have to love them, right? And for the remainder of the year, I'm, I see my pastor, Pastor John, over there. I will be cheering for the Texas Rangers moving forward. Next is walking humbly. As, as we're navigating loving God, being obedient to his word, and loving people, I, I need to walk humbly. And humility isn't thinking less of yourself. 
It is sinking yourself less. Loving others starts with humbly recognizing everyone's worth as an image bearer of God. We are all image bearers of God. And the best example is my mom. My mom has been sick since 1994. She has a rare neurological disease called myasthenia gravis. And despite my mom's illness, despite the the physical um, issues that have popped up with her, I've seen how my mom treats people. And the best example was in the early 1980s. For those of you who are too young, you you now know it as um, AIDS or HIV positive. Back in the day, it was called AIDS. My mom had a beauty salon, and one of her workers was by the name of Michael. And Michael was one of the first individuals in Hawaii to have H- was H- that it was HIV positive. And this was back before we knew how AIDS was transmitted, right? We didn't know if it was through spit or sweat or whatever. And I remember, um, and I love my dad, but dad, I'm going to throw you under the bus. My, my dad would um, kind of argue with my mom, why are you going to care for him? Because we don't know if you're going to come home with, with this disease. And my mom would go and care for Michael every week. She would go and, and just care for this man. This guy didn't know who Jesus was. He, did, he was not living a life that brought God praise, glory, and honor. But yet my mom invested in him because she saw him as an image bearer. She invested in him because she loved him. Michael's no longer here. Michael is also one of the first um, people to, to die of AIDS in Hawaii. But before Michael passed away, Michael came to know the Lord. Love God, be obedient to his word, and love his people. The next is to be a light. It's not enough to just avoid darkness. We're called to be light. And that my action should always direct people back to God. I was, I was blessed with um, a man by the name of Vaughn Brown in, in California. Vaughn doesn't have a doctorate. Vaughn doesn't even have a, a master's degree. He doesn't have a college degree. But I look up to Vaughn. And the reason why I look up to Vaughn is every time I've ever gone to Vaughn with a problem, he's always said, have you prayed about it? And what has the word of God said about it? He's always pointing me to Christ. And here's the thing. If I tell Vaughn no to either one of those two, he hangs up the phone on me. He is he's probably one of the, the most well-known um, addiction guys in Southern California. And that's all. He, he, he never pointed me to anything else but the cross. He always said, what is the word God said about it? And have you prayed about it? And for, for the future leaders, of churches here, and you're ministering to the broken, ask them that question, what is the word God said about it? And have you prayed about it? Why? Because the word of God is sufficient for all things, not just some things, but for all things. Everything. And that leads me to the last of my five points. Dr. Osborne will be super proud because I'm going to be under 30 minutes. And that is a ministry of presence. Sometimes loving God and people doesn't involve grand gestures. It can just be the day-to-day being there for people, listening and offering a helping hand. 
And why am I so passionate about this verse? Why am I so passionate about Matthew 22, 34 to 40, about loving God and loving people? And I didn't know how much of, of my past I was gonna share, but as we did our, the prayer before, Tim and Melina mentioned about my testimony. And I don't talk, for those of you who had me in class, I don't talk about my past. My past does not define me. My past doesn't show who I am because my past is one of destruction, a past of nothing good. Absolutely nothing good. I ended up in treatment. My mom and dad were, were, they loved me enough to send me to a drug and alcohol facility. But see, when I first told my parents that I was a drug addict, first thing my mom did was she called my pastor. My pastor, she was like, what are we supposed to do for him? The pastor said, I don't know. And then they called the Hawaii Pacific Baptist Convention asking for help. What do we need to do for John? I don't know. So they did the best thing they could possibly do for me. They sent me away to California for two months. And some people say, so that means that a program saved your life. No, a program didn't save my life. Because the first night that, that I got to this treatment center, I walked down the hill and, you know, everyone's just congregating, talking about how many times they've been in rehab, right? One guy said it's my fourth time, fifth time. I think the, the highest number was 15 times. This is the 15th time that this individual went to treatment. And I'm a good Asian. I can do math in my head. 30,000 times 15 is $450,000. And I knew my parents didn't have that money. I knew they didn't have half a million dollars. Just, actually, they probably would have. They probably would have sold their house for me. That's how much they love me. But I got on my knees that first night of, of rehab. And I said, God, if I'm going to put my family through multiple treatments and, and I'm going to waste all their money, I just want to die. I don't want to be here anymore. And the next day I woke up, and the only reminder I have of my drug addiction is I have a deviated septum, which means I sniffle a lot. It's not because, and plus I have bad allergies, so we'll either go allergies or deviated septum. And that's the only reminder I have of, of my former life. And my former life, like I said, nothing good. Nothing good. When I came back from treatment, this is, this is trust me, I'm getting to the point of the ministry of presence. When I came back from rehab, there was three individuals who invested in me every single day. It was David Giomi, Pastor David Giomi, who was actually my former bartender, believe it or not. He got sober about three years before I did. It was Pastor David Giomi. And then there was two pastors who had no idea how to care for it, someone who struggled with drug addiction. And that was Ka'ala Souza and Pastor Robert Miller. And what those three men did for the first year of my life was they modeled perfectly loving God, being obedient to the word, and loving people. Because there's also 1 Thessalonians 5.14, and it talks about admonish, encourage, help, and be patient, and be patient with who? Them all, with every single one of us. And here's what those, those three men did. On Monday morning, or Monday, I went to work, worked half day, because a certain program says you get a get well job for, for a year, so that's what I did. I usually work five, six hours a day. And then Monday afternoon, I'll go over to Kala's house. And at Kala's house, I did CrossFit. So yes, I used to be in shape, not a shape round. Like I really was. Some students look at my, my email picture and they're like, who is that? And I'm like, that's me. And they're like, what happened to him? 
and someone, one of my students who's sitting up front said he probably ate him because that's how skinny I was before. Yes, Matt, I'm looking at you. So anyway, um, I, went, I went to Carlos' house and I did cross-training. Like, well, how is that bringing God praise, glory, and honor? Well, before every CrossFit workout that we did, we spent time in the Word and we prayed. And after our, our workout, I hung around for about an hour or more just talking about life and how to live a life that brought God praise, glory, and honor. Here's the thing about Kala. He didn't know me until I showed up to his church one Sunday morning. I came back from rehab. I went to two churches, one church in the morning and the next church for the second service. So football season was not fun for me because I didn't watch any football that year. But Kala didn't know me. But he was like, I'm going to invest in him. I'm going to care for him. On Tuesdays, I did martial arts with Dave. And I go, how is that? Bringing God praise, glory, and honor. Because before every single martial arts workout, we prayed. And after we worked out, we spent time in the Word. On Wednesday mornings, I went to go see Pastor Robert Miller. He, he did Bible study with me every single Wednesday from 9 to 10. And then payment to go do martial arts with Dave was I had to go to another Bible study Wednesday nights. Thursdays, martial arts with Dave, spending time in the Word, pointing me to Jesus. Fridays, CrossFit with Kaala, time spent in the Word, time spent in prayer, pointing me to Jesus. Saturdays, was back at Kaala's house doing CrossFit again, time spent in the Word, time spent in prayer pointing me to Jesus. Do you see a theme that's occurring here? You see, when we actually invest in people's lives, we, we, we love God so much that we're gonna hold them accountable to what the word of God says. Those three pastors did not let me slide on a single thing. Not once. Anytime I said something that did not bring God praise, glory, and honor, they pointed it out and said, no, John, you're wrong. They had the courage and conviction to always point me to the cross. Someone also asked me, what is the difference between mentorship and discipleship? And what I've told my students is mentorship points the individual to you while discipleship points them to Christ. And those three men discipled me every single day, every single day for a year. There is not one day that I was not cared for. You see, for all of our future pastors and all our future youth ministers, the power of presence, the ministry of presence, if you do it well, can save lives. Not just the physical life. I should be, if I ever relapsed, y'all, I'd be dead in like that, in a heartbeat. That's how much, how bad I was in my addictions. I'd be dead immediately. But more importantly, is their eternal salvation, their eternal life. And as you start to care for God's broken, and here's the thing, you guys, like you're gonna be working with broken people. You're gonna have people in the hoodie who come and sit in the back row because no one wants to go talk to them. Go love them. Invest in them. Because here's the thing, if those three men didn't do that for me, I would be a statistic today. And what do I mean by a statistic? You know, like I said, I went to treatment. And in that treatment center, there was 28 of us. And out of the 28, I'm the only one that is sober today. And has nothing to do of anything that I've done. It happens to be because I had pastors who love God so much that they're always going to point me to the cross. They love God so much that they're going to love me. 
And it's also because I had an earthly father who loved me. And this is, you know, some of my students know I just go on tangents sometimes. And dad, this wasn't planned. I'm now a father. I have a three-year-old son named James. And I hope that I can be a father like my father is. And for those of you who are dads right now and you have a child who is struggling with a life-dominating sin, a, a son or daughter who is just in the pit of their own personal hell, your love in pointing them to the cross is probably the most important thing you can do. Jonathan Williams is one of our, our adjunct professors here at Southwestern in the Terry School. And, and he gave an analogy and he said, we expect that schools are the ones who are gonna influence our kids, but schools only get our kids for X amount of hours a year. And then we, or church, right? Church, you're only there maybe two hours a week, 52 weeks in a year, 104 hours, our, our kids are being influenced by our churches. And then you have school. The school is the next, the next realm of influencing our kids. And that's about 1,950-something as we did the math. But you want to know who the most important influencer on helping the broken is? It's parents. I'm saying this for the broken person who's on, might not be here, the broken person here. There's hope in Christ. There's absolute hope in Christ. Because if God can redeem me, I mean, if you told me even last year that I'd be here preaching, I'd have been like, you need to go take a drug test. Like, there's no way Dr. Dockery is going to ask me. Or if you, 10 years ago when I came on campus, you know, a lot less weight here, and someone said, you're going to be preaching. I was like, no, no, I'm not, because I'm just getting my master's degree. I'm going back to California to work in rehab centers again. That, that was my hope and vision. But I'll tell you why I've stayed. I need you. I need each and every one of you who does ministry. I need you to care for, for those who don't fit in. I need you to love the unlovable. I need you to help bring hope to the hopeless. Because in this room, there's a Ka'ala Souza. In this room, there's a David Giomi. In this room, there's a Robert Miller. In this room, there's a Vaughn Brown. In this room, there's a future Pam Okinaga. And in the future, there's a, a Glenn Okinaga. But see, we can't do this on our own. We're called to be a community of saints. We all have a function. We, we all serve a purpose. I'm going to close with this prayer. And I want you to decide... Who are your people? What I mean by who are your people, I ask my class every single first, first day of the semester, who are your people? My people are those who struggle with drugs and alcohol. Matt Wilbanks, his people are youth, right? Chris, his people are like my people, the broken. David's people are vets or people who've served. He wants to become a, a chaplain in, in the army. Who's your people? And when you identify who your people are, we have a choice we have a choice to be either or, which is not biblical, or we need to do a both and. Love God and love his people. And that is my challenge to each and every one of you. It's not we can pick which one we're going to be good at 
or which we're going to do. We have to love God and we have to love his people. And as I close in prayer, who are your people? And as you leave today, know that you can make a difference. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, God, thank you for the God. Thank you for this amazing opportunity to, to just speak from your word. God, Lord, I, I challenge each and everyone here that, that we not only love you, but we also love your people. God, as they leave this, this chapel service today and they go out into the quote-unquote real world outside of the Swibbits bubble, Lord, that they love you, be obedient to your word, and love your people because lives are in the balance. In your precious son, Jesus' name, amen.